0: We bow our heads in prayer, please, dear Father. As we gather here this absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning to praise Your holy name, we just ask that You give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand Your word. But not only to understand, but also to bear witness to Your message bear witness through our actions so that your good and perfect plan, your will for our lives, each and every one of us may be shown forth through our thoughts, through our deeds, and through our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, it's a pleasure to be here. I am a currently a candidate under care within the EPC denomination which basically means that I've graduated from seminary I have the masters in divinity degree and I'm in the ordination process and all that really remains is the very difficult tests that I must take in order to be ordained upon which uh, I can be accepted into uh, a church that would have me and ultimately be their pastor I live in Hopewell, just north of the Pittsburgh airport. I'm actually a restaurant manager. I've been doing that all my life. I uh, manage an Eaton park up by the Beaver Valley Mall. And I have in attendance today my wife Lynn, my daughter-in-law Tiffany. Usually I have a pretty decent crowd that comes with me, but most of them were working today. So uh, I keep them in my prayers as well. But enough about me And, and, of course, Tom kind of stole some of my thunder, and I just say that in in sheer jest this morning. It's amazing to me. Now, Tom had no idea what my sermon was about. But yet his children's sermon was geared identically at what my sermon is geared at today. It's amazing how the word of God gets in you gets into your very core the Holy Spirit works and multiplies himself within you and and as I'm sitting there this week and I'm praying for the words to come and then the words start flowing and and, uh, I just sit there in awe sometimes and I'm like holy cow I I could never do this without somebody's help somebody infinitely wiser and more knowledgeable than me I'm not talking about professors or professional speech writers. The work that is brought forth in these sermons, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, is is inspired by none other than God, and for that we are truly thankful. Because if you had to listen to me the entire time, you'd be pretty bored. Now, as I read the passage today from Luke, you saw the header: "Do not worry." <clears throat> The original Bibles, the original transcripts, they didn't have headers. We, we see in Luke 2 uh, about the birth of Christ. It says, if I'm not mistaken, it, it, it declares in the header the birth of Christ. In Luke chapter 3, the header reads something like, John the Baptist prepares a way. And those are all nice and those are all neat. But quite truthfully, if I read through the passage, it doesn't take a whole lot of common sense to figure out, oh, this is about the birth of Christ. Oh, John the Baptist is announcing the coming of Christ. And our header today, do not worry. Well, as you read through verses 22 through 34, indeed that is the overarching message, do not worry. But quite truthfully, friends, there is a much deeper meaning to this passage going on. And underneath this passage, I think the header probably could read, to whom do you put your trust in? And a header could read that, and I think it could get away with that. In fact, I think that header might actually read the passage a little bit more closely. And our passage today actually is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture for a lot of reasons. Uh, This passage really is quite radical. It's cutting edge. It's the Lord and our Savior teaching his disciples a message that they've already heard before. This message that they heard before, and it might have been familiar to you today as well, can be found in Matthew 6. And a lot of pundits will say, when they're trying to disprove the Bible or discredit the teaching of Jesus, they'll say, there's multiple messages in there written by multiple authors of the same message, but yet they twist the words and contort the words and change the words now, that's really not what's going on here with this passage, nor is that what's going on in any of the scripture. In, in Matthew 6, this passage is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus deliver this, delivers this in Galilee. But we're not in Galilee here. We're in Judea. And in fact, we are only a few months away probably from the death and resurrection of Christ. His ministry is coming to an end here. And what's important with the repetition here is simply that. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. You get what I'm saying? The more I say things, the more you remember things. The more Jesus taught and the more he delivered the same message to his disciples, the more they had those aha moments where they were to say, oh, okay, I get it now. What's going on here is the more you hear, the more you believe. So what is fostered? What is fostered with the more you hear, the more you believe? What is fostered is your faith. What's the Apostle Paul tell us about that? Romans ten seven: faith comes through hearing. Paul once again states in Ephesians 2, 8, we are saved by grace through faith. I want to point out, isn't it kind of neat how Scripture just flows fluidly. Different writers, different passages, even Tom's children's sermon today, all intertwined, all complementing each other, adding to each other. Now, as we journey through this passage, I want to show you how, how and why the repetition is important for knowing our God. Knowing our God, knowing his eternal and unchanging Unchanging attributes. And these attributes are paramount. To our uh, ability. Or lack thereof. Of our faith. Now I think you would all agree that. The age we live in. Is as stressful. And as anxious as the world has ever seen. And. I don't want to take away anything from prior wars and and turmoil throughout the world because the world has seen its lion's share of it. And we're seeing our lion's share today. We are inundated with anxiety and anxious moments. I want to read some scary figures here to you. We have approximately 20 million adults right now in America that are subject to mental illness. Our government spends $42 billion, with a B, dollars per year fighting anxiety and stressful disorders. And one in every two Americans is, is, experiences some form of anxiety disorder. Half of our population. And we wonder why we read and see in the news the uh, tragic events on a daily basis. Worldwide, on a yearly basis over a hundred million people will experience a panic attack and not to make light of this but but even our animals even our animals suffer from stress and anxiety several years ago I have cousins who are black Angus farmers up in Mercer and they transported uh, a pretty significant amount of cattle out to Colorado The cattle were so stressed out in the trip out there that they lost 10% of their body weight. 10% of their body weight, which when you're selling beef on a per pound basis, they lost some money on that deal. In fact, I remember them saying they'll never do that again. And uh, a much more closer to home note, speaking of animals, my wife and I went on vacation a couple weeks ago. Went up to Pimatunan to go camping. And we have Two dogs. So you know the old saying, don't remove the dogs from their element. Just bring someone in. They'll be happier. Not my dogs. We bring in a friend of the family and my dogs promptly get sick and have the runs the entire week. And it took a week after we get home to get them kind of back to normal. They call it separation anxiety. So as we read through our passage today in Luke... We're drawn to three commandments given by Jesus. Do not be anxious, verse 22. Do not worry, verse 29. And do not be afraid, or fear not, depending upon which translation, verse 32. And I want to state the NIV in verse 22 uses the word worry. The more accurate Greek translation really is do not be anxious. The two words in, in 22 and 29 in the Greek translations are actually different words. Verse 29 is an actually really interesting word. I'm not going to try and pronounce the Greek word for you. But the meaning that, the, that the, is used in verse 29 is to be doubtful in mind. It's to be anxious through a distracted mind, a state of wavering between hope and fear. Pretty serious stuff. Now, the first concern we see that Jesus is addressing is a fear of not having food or clothes. And and I think you would all agree with me that this is arguably the most basic, common fear, really, of everybody. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Go to a third world country. I did a mission trip a couple of years ago to Honduras. And, uh, boy, it opens your eyes to what am I going to eat today? Uh, Third world countries literally fight after a single orange. One single orange for their diet for the entire day. And I thought it was interesting in the Garden of Eden. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do after the fall? First thing. They clothe themselves. Now I understand and I don't want, to, don't want you to think I'm twisting scripture. They, they clothe themselves out of shame. But what is interesting is it was the anxiety because of their shame that got them to seek clothing. I just thought that was interesting. And we see that the Lord uses an analogy to compare the situation against that of the raven or the lilies of the field. And the raven, by no stretch of the imagination, is a majestic bird. They are lazy, lazy. They feed off the efforts of other animals, roadkill even. They don't worry about building elaborate nests. They just sleep wherever they can find a good spot. They are, in effect, towards the low end of the bird chain. Yet our God provides for them. It says he feeds them. And I'm in the country here, so I, I would assume, and I think I'm assuming correctly, that most of you have Taking a good look at your flower garden lately, and, you, and your flowers, and, and Christ uses the example of a lily hill lily here, but I really think that he probably had all flowers in view because the flowers in Israel are some of the finest wildflowers that you'll see in the world. So I think as he might have been giving this sermon, he looked out across the field, and perhaps lilies were there, but there would have been a vast array of flowers. And if you look really closely at your flowers, they're perfect. They're absolutely perfect in every way, shape, and form. And we're told that even King Solomon, in all of his splendor, was unable to duplicate these flowers. Mankind, in all of our ingenuity and capabilities and skill sets, we can't even synthetically reproduce the perfectness of the flowers. But perhaps the key to this first understanding of the Lord's analogy comes from verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If anything, medical research has proven that stress and anxiety shorten our lives. So I want to bring out three points today. And our first point is... This And by the way, these points will be interrelated, interchangeable, and you'll leave here with an easy easy way to understand and remember them. So our first point, we are God's crowning achievement. Mankind, in all of his creation, mankind is God's crowning achievement. We're made by God, for God, and for those whom he has called, he has given purpose. Therefore, my first point is this. Worry fails to understand purpose. We read in 1 Peter 5 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let me show you where I'm going with this. Man tells us go to seminars, read self help books, join self help groups. And if you do that, what's going to be the outcome? You'll manage your stress. Some of you may have even heard that term through your HR departments. You'll manage your stress like a manager of a baseball team. So I'm going to manage my stress. What's that mean? Well, I'm going to control it. I'm going to keep it in check. I'm going to get the best out of me while leaving the worst kind of in the dung heap. That's the best we can do. We can manage it. But God, he's not interested in managing our stress. He's interested in us being completely and totally stress-free. God tells us, do not worry because you are so valuable to me. You are so valuable to me because I will take care of you. Now, why would God do that? Good question. God would do that because we have a role, we have a purpose we have a role and a purpose that was set in place by God long before our creation. He didn't bring us into creation so that we'd be consumed by food or clothing or the house we live in or the job we have or the toys we have. And and I want to preface that statement I enjoy eating as much as the next guy. But that's not my purpose. And God will sustain us because of that purpose. And you might ask, okay, what is my purpose? And that's a very fair question. Well, Scripture teaches us that we're given various gifts. Paul talks a lot about this. We're given various gifts, and we're to use those gifts to advance the kingdom of God. Now, back to our reading example, I would argue that some think that is a purpose. If you've ever heard of that Joey Chestnut guy, he eats all those hot dogs. July 4th, always goes up to Coney Island, always eats 60-some hot dogs in a minute or so. It's kind of disgusting. But I would argue quite vigorously, not the purpose. Your life's not about food. It's not about clothing. And it's not about just surviving. All of those things are God's commitment to us. It's on his shoulders. And he will bear it. You live for the purpose that he set in motion, and he will sustain your life until that purpose. Remember how I said everything kind of flows together? We were singing the hymn this morning, How Great Thou Art. A lot of times we sing the hymns and don't pay attention to the words, and something struck me. It was from verse 4. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart. To my point, you live for the purpose of God. He will sustain that until that purpose is fulfilled. And then he's going to call you home. And at that point, all right, let's go. And I would add also that the purpose is spiritual in nature. Say it again, it's spiritual in nature. God has called you, he's regenerated you. He has given you new life and he's done this and he has put you in a place so that your witness and your ministry can bring glory to God. That's part of the Westminster Confessions even. That's the chief aim of man is to glorify God. And all he wants you to do then is live to his glory. As I said, it's not about food. It's not about clothes. It's not about expanding your life. That's God's commitment because that's the kind of priority we have as his children. And if you understand that you occupy that privileged position in God's family, if you understand that, that you live for God's purpose, then you understand that God will sustain you. And he'll sustain you until that purpose is fulfilled. Worry, worry. Fails to understand our purpose and priority as God's children. And if we live in a sphere where we bombard ourselves with anxiety and worry about our situations in life, quite truthfully, we're failing to exhibit the faith that we outwardly profess to have. We create the anxiety in ourselves. And by doing so, we either deny the will of God or we're just ignorant and know nothing about God's nature toward us. Now the second aspect of God's nature and inclination that we gain from our passage this morning is actually very clear. Oftentimes it does get missed in the overarching theme of don't be anxious, but it's this. God promises to provide for us. So point one is purpose. Point two is provide. Notice in our readings that the raven's Even though they had no barn, storehouse, they're fed because God feeds them. And verse 27 through 29 spells out very clearly just how much more God will clothe you. You are more valuable than all that. And this promise to provide us by God, it goes hand in hand with our first point. Because we are given a purpose, God provides now in the uh, ancient Jewish Jewish teaching it was very common for the teachers to use analogies a lesser to a greater. And and Jesus is doing the exact same thing here. He is using Jewish teaching of a lesser to a greater. What he is showing is the birds, the ravens or really any bird for that matter they are incapable of generating their own food. They don't, the ravens, in this case, they don't have the storehouses. They don't have the barns, so they're not storing food. All they have is the instinct and the capabilities to find and pick up food. And they do that because God makes it plentiful for them. That's what Jesus is teaching here. They're totally 100% completely dependent on God. What the creator provides is all that they have. Now, this is the analogy of the lesser that Jesus is using. Here's his greater. We, humankind, were given ingenuity. We're given capabilities. We're given skill sets that allow us to plow, plant, water, nurture, harvest, and produce food. And for the first century Jew, this was back-breaking work. This was sweat-inducing. This was, I am going to die at an early age because this job will take the light from me. And quite honestly, being a farmer today in our country is still the backbone of our country. It is still arguably one of the hardest. I have family members that are dairy farmers, and God bless them, because that's a 24-7, 365. Now... This is not to imply that we don't work. I I want that message to be very clear here. I'm not implying that we don't work because, well, God will provide. I don't have to worry about it because God will provide. No, no, no. The expectation, and the expectation is set forth very clearly in Scripture, is that we do work, that we do utilize those skill sets that God gave us, that we do utilize the capabilities and the ingenuity to sustain ourselves and this world we live in. We have been given charge of this current world by God, That's established in Genesis, to care for it, to nurture it, to cultivate it, to grow it, and to care for each other. But sometimes even our best efforts will fall short, and God knows that. But we have the assurance that he will sustain us, he will provide for us, Look at the end of verse 24. It says God feeds them. How much more important are we? It is this provision that God promises for us. He sees fit to feed the birds. He will see fit to sustain us. And you don't have to spend your life worrying about whether you'll have enough because that's God's promise to us. I don't have to worry about it. God promises that he will sustain me. And when's he going to do that until? He's going to do that until our purpose is fulfilled. And then, once again, quite truthfully, yes, my job here is over. I'm going home. And Paul knew this. I know I make a lot of references to Paul, and that's okay because it's good stuff. He writes in Timothy that this is Paul writing to Timothy as he was sitting in the jail cell waiting for his own death. He had run the course, he had finished the race. Paul knew that his time was coming to the end. He knew that his work was done, and he was 100% okay with that, and he was quite ready to go home. Why was he? It seems kind of odd to me if I'm sitting in a jail cell knowing that I'm either going to be hung on a cross or my head's going to be taken off of my body. That would be, I think, rather stressful. <laughs> but Paul wasn't stressed at all because God has sustained him to the end of his purpose. And he had done so with complete delight. Paul had seen the very best of the best. He had lived the very best of the best. And Paul had also lived the worst of the worst. Paul lived on both sides of the coin. And had and had uh, seen it all quite truthfully. You know, it is this completely unmerited love just like he gave jesus completely unmerited with nothing on my own doing that caused him to do so it is this same unchanging attribute that god grants us the ability to sustain to provide through our purpose and by creating anxieties about our allotments in life not having enough money to buy food or the best clothes and whether we realize it or not by creating those anxieties we're creating idols in our life and friends that's sinful when we create idols that's sinful we place the ability of ourself as provider on and above that of the Lord and we're telling him and you can paraphrase this any way you want But we're telling him, you know, I'm not so sure, God, that you can take care of me as good as I can take care of me. So I'll do it on my own. Oh, by the way, when things get really bad, then we go screaming to God. We fail. We fail on a monumental level to understand the nature of God as provider. We fail to know who our God is. And I want to be clear, and I mentioned this before, but I I want to be very clear in this. God never promised that we would have things easy. In fact, he told his disciples exactly that the opposite of that in Luke 21, 17. He said, know this, the world will hate you because of me. I'm I'm not standing up here giving a prosperity message. I'm not giving you a Joel Osteen message. Things will be, and can be very tough. Expect it, because that's the sinful, broken world we live in. And sometimes, I think most of you would agree that we create our own empty pockets, if you will. As my father-in-law would always say, he has a champagne taste on a draft beer budget. Anxiety, so fails to understand god's promise to provide for us third point verse 32 fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom our third point is this fear fails to understand placement so there you have it purpose provision placement You might be thinking, wow, that's pretty clever, Joe. You used three Ps. Yes, I did. I did it on purpose. It's one of those old learning tools when you were trying to remember something. You put it into a limerick or, or give it some kind of easy to remember. So if you walk out of here today and you don't remember anything else than three Ps, then I did okay. I did my job. But I digress. Back to our third point, placement. Verse 32 tells us that it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Well, What kingdom? Well, the kingdom that Christ ushered in. The kingdom that he will consummate with his promised second coming. Remember that fourth verse we just read from the hymn? Until I come again. Scripture tells us we are co-inheritors. We will help rule the kingdom. We'll help be the judges. That's right out of Scripture. And until that final consummation of a new heaven and earth, Jesus tells us, and listen to this, John 14:1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There you have it. So, fear fails to understand that God has a place for us in the new heavens and the new earth, in his mansion in heaven, and also in the here and now. Your whole life is way more than the food and clothing, your life is oriented towards the kingdom of God, the spear of salvation and the sphere where Christ rolls as king and Lord. So I got to say, what are you anxious about? What do you worry about? What are you fearful about? And I would be remiss if I said that I don't have the same fears and worries and anxieties that life just bombards me with. Here's the difference, and this is so important. The unbelieving world, the unregenerate world, the unsaved world, they have no claim on our God. And this isn't a secret club either. This isn't God's secret club. God wishes that no one would perish. But they have no pledges. They have no covenants. They have no promises. They have nothing. So according to verse 30, what do they do? The nations desperately seek after these things. That's the life of their unregenerate. It is a survival of the fittest in a dog-eat-dog world. Paul McCartney actually wrote a song about that, Live and Let Die, many, many years ago, about the pursuit of humankind. You see, the world lives to acquire these things, and quite truthfully, it's really, it's only and primary focus. And why is that? Well, they're dead to God. They are dead to a spiritual life. They're dead. The uh, Presbyterian pastor, John MacArthur, this is a lengthy quote, bear with me, but is so relevant to our passage today it's so relevant to our message today i want to read this quote that he had and he was talking about the unregenerate all there is is the physical world not being children of god having a father the devil who provides no good thing ever they are left to themselves only to sort only to sort of reap what little they can from the common grace of god Being ignorant of God and God's provision, they are unable to lay any claim on God's promise or God's power. They live to survive. Those people in spiritual darkness without the life of God, they may create a religion and they may create a God that they hope will help them. But the deities they create are only a reflection of evil men and demons. That's why the gods of the world are wicked, devious, selfish, violent, untrustworthy, indifferent, capricious, evil, Merciless. So people are left to the gods that they believe in. And not in the sense that they think that those gods may help them. But they hope that those gods just won't harm them. You see, their gods don't help them because their gods are demons impersonating the gods they think they worship. They are on their own. Unbelievers feel the full weight of survival. Survival. I don't know about you. The full weight of survival. Wow. That is... Think about that. The full weight of survival. That's intense. That's downright scary. That's the kind of statement that gives you no hope. There's no hope. The full weight of survival resting on your shoulders. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And we wonder why we have the alarming numbers of mental disorders and anxiety and depression that we have in this world. As we finish up here this morning, I would just implore you to take measure of your spiritual health. Can you see how knowing who our God is? And how he made promises to us that he cannot and will not break. Can you see how important that is? And can you see how that gives you a better understanding of who we are in relationship to God? Who he made us to be. His promise, for as long as we seek after his kingdom, he will sustain us to the end of the plan. Once that plan reaches its culmination, he calls us to our eternal home. At that point, it don't matter anymore because we're going home. There'll be no regrets. No sadness. There'll be no wavering hesitation. We will be just like Paul was. Take me home, dear Lord. We'll finish the race we've run the course we've won the prize and thanks be to god for that amen